Good to have you with us. Time to bring in John Raz to the conversation, former liberal war room strategist and guy that's been everywhere in the world, knows a lot. And Anthony Fury, columnist, of course, who you can read in the Toronto Sun and the Post. Hi, guys. Hey, hello. Let's talk about the woman I just interviewed, Tanya Granick Allen. Uh, Allen, she is the latest uh, hopeful to jump into the leadership race for the PC. She's a social conservative. And, uh, you know, they're treated as a fringe, Anthony. They're vilified. The party is terrified of them. But, you know, is she going to cause problems and headaches and possibly divide the vote? How do you see this? I don't know. As you know, Alex, I love to sit with you there in studio. And right now we're talking from Ottawa because I'm helping do some hosting at the Manning Conference where I'm doing a sit down with Caroline Maroney, Doug Ford and, Car- and Christine Elliott. I just yeah. did it with Caroline this morning and I asked her the very question. Uh, that you're getting at. I said, look, people felt like they were pushed away by Patrick Brown, social conservatives in particular. Are you going to be a uniter? And I'll ask the same thing to Doug and Christine. And Caroline said, everybody's welcome in the party. Now, as you know, Patrick was very clear. He always said, no, I'm not a social conservative. No, no, we don't have tolerance for that sort of stuff. So Tanya's picking up on a very earnestly felt issue. Um, the only question is whether the current candidates are going to sort of bring that more into the fold. So Tanya is less of a rebel care, uh, a rebel candidate anymore. And that's what I'm not sure about. Yeah. Well, look, she's adamant that she will repeal sex ed. And, you know, she's just handed a massive wedge issue, John, to Kathleen Wynne, who will then take that run and paint uh, conservatives as Neanderthals. Um, but I think, look, there are a lot of parents who felt they weren't consulted with, and there are a lot of new Canadians, many of them. There's, they're, they're a bigger band of people than I think they get credit for. Oh, no, absolutely. I think anybody who wants to subscribe to Sharia law is going to be very excited about her candidacy. Give me a break. <laughs> I mean, oh, sorry, is it, we're not allowed, so, so no one in this country in the conservative side can have any religious beliefs. That's, I mean, that, that, that's essentially... That's notionally like an exaggeration. Yeah. Come on. Look... Let's see where the numbers lie in the membership. Let's see how many social conservatives, I'm not even sure what that term really means. Let's see what her base is in this party because I feel like it kept on diminishing through my time in politics. And every time it's come around, there are less and less people. Look, the Charter of Rights and Freedoms guarantees us a variety of rights, including the right to practice our religion. That's, Doesn't mean that's questionable these that days, you get to impose it on other people. Yeah, but it it has, as you know, Anthony, become an issue of late, certainly with the summer jobs program where, you know, whether you're uh, Jewish, Muslim and or Christian, you know, you basically have to check a box if you want government money. So it is, I think, a relevant issue now in politics. And I totally disagree with John. Maybe the numbers are not what they were at at their peak in certain levels of activism, but there's a whole hell of a lot of thousands, tens of thousands of people out there and they are mobilized because they have issues they're very passionate about. and They have members lists. And I tell you, a few days after after Patrick Brown resigned as leader, they were mobilizing. They said, sign up members, everybody get signed up. And they're not with any particular camp. Maybe they will now be with Tanya. I don't know. Uh, but they're saying this is our time to to reclaim our, our status. And I, I, I don't know how many thousands of them they're going to be. What status be is that, point. Anthony? Well, they, they, they do feel like, voice. yeah, they, they, they do very much feel like they were kicked out. Go ahead. Well... Kicked out of what? Well, no, they, they felt they uh, like Patrick Brown completely bulldozed them out of the party. You weren't even allowed to bring up social conservative issues, ever. You were not allowed to talk about it because he had moved the party further to the center and grown the base. So they felt betrayed. I'd like you to, name, I'd like you to name me the leader of a provincial or federal conservative party that is still uh, promoting the notion of this kind of social conservatism. Ontarians what? 
by vast majority, and I've seen data year after year, do not object to the sex ed curriculum. I have a 10-year-old in school. I don't object to it. These are the realities of our day. I am not objecting to anybody practicing their faith. And if you object to it, then you can, of course, educate your kids yourself. But I, you know, maybe you're maybe you're right, Mr. Fury. Maybe there are lots of people who really object to this, but I haven't seen the data. I have seen no evidence in voting, and certainly we didn't see it in the last election. That's why it becomes a problem. Yeah, go ahead. It's funny because I mean, I know I don't know if John said this point when Andrew Shear won, but a lot of a lot of liberals said, "Oh, look, Andrew Shear won actually just because he got these other guys like Brad Trost and a couple other social conservatives to send all their ballots to them." So look, the new federal conservative leader is is some uh, social conservative, you know, puppet for the radical SoCon right and so forth. I don't entirely agree with that, but it was true that those people moved over to him. So I don't know if you can say there are no SoCons now and then just, you know, 10 months ago, there was for some reason some sort of SoCon revival going on at the federal level. I don't, I agree with you. It's not that there are no SoCons and, and, and our host here made a valuable point. A lot of new Canadians come here with more of a rigor and religion and sort of traditional moral values, for lack of a better term, than the Canadians who have been here for a while. This is a much more secular society, right? Whether they are, and I I meant no disrespect, whether they're Muslim or they're Hindu or they're Sikh, uh, Jewish or Christian, coming from around the world from orthodoxies that are much stronger than ours. So let's see what the numbers are, because we keep on bringing these people in. They're great immigrants. They, you know, they pay their taxes. They're good citizens. They... They're great Canadians, but every time an election comes around, the number of people pushing the agenda of the social conservatives seems to go down. Right. However, it becomes a big problem if then in this leadership uh, you know, debate or uh, race, we'd end up getting the conversation hijacked by these issues because my only concern, and I am not a social conservative, is fiscal conservatism, and I want this party out, and I don't want them to be kept into power because we're arguing about sex ed curriculum. That's my concern. And Alex, I think one thing that could have been done is that parents, and the big thing that the social conservative movement wants right now is that they're concerned about the transgender activism, so that's yep. one issue. And then the other issue is they say we want parents to be consulted in all of this. Yep. So John says... Uh, as a parent, he's not concerned about the curriculum, and many parents share that view. Many parents are also concerned. Maybe people just need to talk it out a bit more. And the problem with both the Liberal government and Patrick Brown is they say, no, 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 we're, we're not going to talk. I mean, maybe if you sit down and talk it out more, you realize you're not all that far away, and you can come up with some sort of a consensus or compromise, or you actually realize there is no problem. But that hasn't been happening. So bring them into the fold and, and, and have that talk. Let's see what happens. Okay, I want to skip uh, over to a topic that uh, happened late today with a news dump. The Liberals canceling a highway that would have served thousands, uh, hundreds of thousands of those living west of the city uh, by linking them directly to the 400. It was Highway 413. It's been in the works for 10 years. They've spent millions doing environmental assessments, and now it's been spiked. Just in time, John, for a provincial election. I would love to know the names of the civil servants who did this to Kathleen Wynne. It's a very different story than gas plants. You take gas plants out of residential neighborhoods, you're going to get some votes. You take a highway away from commuters who are already spending way too much time away from their families, this is a vote killer for them. I'm pretty sure the environmentalists are not voting for Kathleen Wynne anyway, and I'm pretty sure 
having run a few campaigns, that they're not that large a block in terms of first priority voting. So how did this get canceled? Whose decision would this have been? Well, I, you know, having worked down in Queen's Park, I am going to surmise I did a little bit of digging. This, this decision was made by mandarins, by civil servants. And if I was Kathleen Wynne, I'd be furious. It looks like a waste of money. And, it is. You, and you just took away hours and hours of time from parents and their kids. Alex, I just thought this this highway rings a bell, and I remembered I broke some news about it in August 2016. I got the story in front of me. Liberals create secret panel on future of new highway. Advisory committees are, are fine, but when they're secret, uh, that's a problem. And they created a secret advisory panel. Stephen Del Duca put it together for sort of stakeholders, but people didn't know whether they were people too involved in the creation of the highway. And maybe those people played a role in the killing of this. And, and th- these would have been people who were appointed uh, by Stephen Del Duca. So I, I'm not, m- maybe the, uh, the, the Mandarins did advise this to John's point, but I mean, Del Duca has been managing this file quite vigorously. You know, I worked around the Liberals provincially and federally for a long time. Nobody ever invited me into a secret panel, but as you know, I wasn't that popular. So maybe that explains things. What secret panel? What does that mean, secret panel? I mean, I say Secret panel means they do not uh, reveal the identities of the people on the advisory committee, which is bizarre, and it's, it's never happened before. As, as you know, John, it's not something that the federal liberals have ever done. I am with you 1,000% that, that that's wrong, no matter my partisanship historically. A secret panel makes me think of Star Chamber. It makes me think of Dr. Strangelove. I mean, it's just it just sounds wrong. Well, I've only got 30 seconds, so can, can Kathleen Wynne override this? Because... If you're saying it's a vote killer for her, are we going to hear different news on Monday? Have you ever tried to take on a senior civil servant? Well, I've seen how they work. I, I, I learned a lot about them in the gas plant trial, that's for sure. Yeah. Jeez. All right, guys. Let's hold it there because when we come back, Jihadi Jack, yeah, why do we get stuck with him? I, I don't get this. Why do we get stuck with him? Because maybe we're soft on terror. We'll talk about that and why we will have to bring him here possibly. That's coming up on point here. On Global News Radio. It is Counterpoint tonight with John Raz and Anthony Fury, who is in Ottawa at the Manning uh, Conference. Jihadi Jack is his name. My question, why the hell are we going to get stuck with him? This is a British-Canadian dual citizen, very much from the UK. He went over to Syria to, you know, backpack because it's so pristine and beautiful. But yeah, he was fighting with ISIS. And I guess he's been languishing in jail, but his family's adamant that he come here to Canada because we are, quote, tolerant of extremism. Anthony, really? <laughs> well, it's pretty clear that one of the reasons he wants to come to Canada is because they believe he'll get a softer ride here. It's unclear to me what country he's born in. Uh, interrupt me if you know where. But I think his dad like- is Canadian, but his mother's very British. But 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 UK, the UK does not want him back. That's why they're looking at bringing him here. I don't think either the UK or Canada have the right to refuse him. We cannot pick and choose who our citizens are, but let's put him in jail, absolutely. And by the way, he's not being held by a country, a nation state. He's being held by Kurds, by the Peshmerga, Mm -hmm. who are, as we know, a stateless organization. I'm amazed, by the way, they've even left him alive. Yeah. Uh, You know, I've I've worked around those guys in northern Iraq when I was back in the day. Uh, So he wants to come to Canada. Reputationally, British jails are actually easier and more tolerant, and that system easier and more tolerant than Canadian jails. So I'm confused about all of this. And Anthony, I had the same question. Does it really matter, though? He's got a dual citizenship. One of these countries has to take him because otherwise citizenship means nothing. Doesn't mean that we have to let him run around the country free. Well, it does mean something because up until very recently, there was a law in the books that said that if you are convicted, 
of a terrorist act and you are a dual national, you can have your citizenship revoked. Now, Justin Trudeau, of course, uh, rescinded that. I do think, Alex, and I I, I write about these returning jihadists a lot, which he is alleged Mm. to be, although it's a, a little unclear. I think we actually should bring them back. And this can finally be a case scenario of how we throw the book at someone in every possible way and try and prosecute him. And maybe, I guess because the parents are saying it's not true, maybe we'll find it's not true, but put them through the ringer because we're not. We got these dozens of returning jihadists and we're not doing this. Uh, I think we should prosecute them. I know, Anthony, I'm supposed to argue with you 1,000% right. I'm right behind <laughs> Excellent idea. Yeah, I just don't get the sense that he will be prosecuted. He'll probably be made into a spokesperson, as, as Mr. Trudeau believes that they can be. A spokesperson for what? The social conservative movement and the provincial Possibly, but, but he thinks they can be a, a voice of good. Those are his words, not mine. It is bizarre, the emphasis on rehabilitation that, that the Prime Minister keeps bringing up, because I, I hope we can all agree that if someone is going to serve 10, 15, 20 years in jail, we'd prefer them coming out not being a gangster or murderer or you know, whatever they were that got them in jail and come out a good citizen. Here, here. But Trudeau talks about rehabilitation and isolation. He doesn't ever talk about prosecution uh, with these terrorists, which is, is very bizarre. It leads one to believe, Alex, that he just wants to put them into mm. some sort of community service program and not ever prosecute. Hypothetically, if one was cynical, he may be sucring some vote along the way. Yeah, gee, shocking. All right, let's talk about the job numbers because they are dreadful. 88,000 part-time jobs in Canada lost, 59,000 of those in Ontario alone. You'll hear The Economist spinning this as, you know, it's okay, but hey, I got an interview uh, coming up with Ian Lee who's not, uh, you know, he's not beholden to anybody or any political party, and he says this is a sign of very bad things to come. And and look, Anthony, the writing was on the wall that this was going to happen, and it's happening. Yeah, I understand this report says, and economists are saying it, it, it doesn't have too much to do with the Ontario minimum wage hike, even though these are mostly part-time jobs. That Ian Lee lost. said that's absolutely categorically false. Well, then we'll, we'll certainly see that, because they're saying the numbers show that people have just dropped out of employment. Uh, I, I don't... Is that minimum you know, wage also responsible for the 4,000-point drop in the Dow? No, no, and no. And the correction of markets However, in North America? However, a lot of conversation around business people I hear is that, you know what, over uh, the last couple of months before the, the new rules came in, they were making decisions of cancelling out and getting rid of part-time employees and bringing in full-timers because for them it was cheaper to bring in a full-timer than having two or three part-timers. And so now maybe we're I seeing that. I have no doubt that the minimum wage has some to do with it, but it's also January, a month where retail employees yep always drops off. We also have uh, a market that seems to be in free fall in North America. And I think there are a lot of factors here, but you know, it's bad news. And I hope somebody's got a plan. And I think from the political angle, what we need to ask is we were told that the plan, the whole reason that we, that uh, Trudeau had broken the promise for the $10 billion deficits instead moved closer to 30. It was all about kick, kickstarting the economy again, really getting it firing all on all cylinders. The growth rate was very good for 2017, but we're suddenly seeing this drop off with unemployment. And we got to ask why, and we got to start isolating the variables. The bigger question is, is this a, a bizarre blip yeah. or is this the beginning of a trend? And that, then that's that what we have to watch would be the problem. Yeah. If it happens again next month, uh, then you're going to see real panic, I think, with people. Yeah, that'll make that'll make a tough electoral environment. And, and Mr. Shear might actually have a chance. Let's talk about Mr. Trudeau, because he is telling Facebook Clean up your fake news act, uh, or he's going to put strict regulations on the social platform. Here's my problem with this, Anthony. Who is he to determine what fake news is? Because you know what? Quite frankly, I look at this as censorship. 
Yeah, and I don't want to do a, a round with the three of us where we each give what our idea of fake news is because we're each going to give uh, different examples of it. It'll be like the movie Rashomon all over again. So I, I, it's not something that I think the prime minister should really be wading into because I, it is not a technical term. And I'm, I'm quite frankly concerned about that. And I already know uh, Facebook and the Liberal government are working together on, on other projects. So I'm a little alarmed by this. It's Trump rhetoric. Anthony, I'm with you. And also fake news. I mean, I, I think we can all agree that pretty much every press release from every political party coming out of Ottawa on a daily basis might be construed as fake news because we're all <laughs> promoting our own views. But what is absurd to me is the notion that Justin Trudeau thinks that he can actually edit or somehow censor or affect an open marketplace of ideas. Of course, there's lots of fake news on Facebook. There's also lots of fake news on all sorts of news outlets. But the notion of the Internet is free information and you get to judge for yourself whether it makes any sense. It is impossible absolutely impossible for him to even do, even if he wanted to, unless we're going to move into an Orwellian scenario where we will listen exactly to what the government says. <laughs> but here's the problem. People will eat this up just like they loved and cheered that people kind comment. People are I hate to say it, you know, dumb enough and gullible enough to think, oh, he's such a martyr because he's going to clean up all the fake news. But but lo, make no mistake, he would like it so that he can get rid of any kind of stuff that is slanted against him. I thought people kind was just a celebration of bisexuality, and there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> <laughs> Alex, I, I don't know about all that. I mean, I, I think even just in the past few weeks, the tide has been turning a little bit, and that I think the prime minister uh, needs to get a bit more serious. You think? After... Well, no, from the perspective of the regular folks who are, we're not, who are not as politically plugged in day to day as the three of us are, I think they really liked him and saw goodwill in him. And now they're starting to go, well, some of this stuff's a little flaky and I don't get this. You're, so you're talking to Facebook about stuff. I, I think they're going to sour on this a bit. And I think the PMO, if they're smart, will pick up on this and try and pivot. Well, you know, call it, calling people Hitler uh, wasn't probably the best idea for his uh, his operation, uh, you know, manager today, uh, you know, when he said that. I, I, again, I hate to agree with you, Anthony. we got some pretty big issues on the table in Canada. We've got the pipelines out yep. west. We've got negotiations on NAFTA with Mr. Trump, President Trump in the United States. And I'm not sure where... Uh, somehow editing or censoring what people choose to lie about themselves on Facebook has anything to do with my reality. When did you turn into, like, tolerable? Oh, when I cut up my liberal card. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> should have had a party. All right, Anthony, enjoy yourself. Thank you. Take care, guys. Anthony, Take for care. joining us from the Manning Conference, and John Mraz becomes normal. No, I'm kidding. Let's not push it. Always, uh, always appreciate your thoughts.